Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do paranormal experiences really become more common around Halloween? Can ghosts be clumsy? Do trolls really exist? In toy form, they do. Hey there, and welcome to the 289th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and all those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. We hope everyone is having a safe and pleasant Halloween today. Our theme tonight is the extreme paranormal. Uh, We'll be talking about some pretty fringe paranormal cases, uh, most of which happened around Halloween. We also invite you to call in if you'd like to share stories of your own. Uh, You don't have to give your full name. The numbers for tonight locally are 401-766-1240 and 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. Uh, But first, of course, our weekly paranormal contest. Last week we asked... Where is the world's only official UFO landing pad? Kevin Callahan from Boston, you think he's Irish? Callahan no. from Boston got the correct answer to that. St. Paul, Alberta, Canada. The pad was built by local authorities as a tourist attraction in 1967 in honor of Canada's centennial of independence. As a matter of fact, our friend Paul Hellyer who has twice appeared on the show, was Canada's defense minister at the time and flew into St. Paul to help dedicate the landing pad. It's kind of a weird way to celebrate your Independence Day. Well, didn't so, do much for his political career either. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so this week's question is: What U.S. state was the hot or has the highest number of reported Bigfoot sightings? So get that question right and win an autographed copy of my dad's most popular book, Footsteps in the Attic. Those are kind of rare these days. Anyway. Uh, to answer the question, uh, does paranormal activity pick up around Halloween? Uh, I've always found the answer to be, well, maybe yes, maybe no. What happens at Halloween is the traditional end of the harvest and beginning of the dark, cold half of the year when, in ancient times anyway, many people died. It marks the Celtic New Year, uh, known as Sowen or Samhain, and does the same for a number of other people, including many of today's neo-pagans. So, Happy New Year to all you Celts out there. Because it was a dangerous season, it was considered that death, demons, and spirits of the dead had more or less free reign as it began, and particularly on its eve. Early on, though, the Christian church had a policy of deliberately adopting pagan feasts and turning them into Christian feasts. So, October 31st became All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween, and November 1st became a celebration of all saints instead of a feast of demons and dead people. Cool. All right, uh, but you, we've never found that weird phenomena increase just because it's Halloween. Uh, they do seem to increase if it's around the time of the full moon, though. Uh, that's because the gravitational pull is a theory, anyway. The gravitational pull of the moon affects electromagnetic fields, just as it does the tides. The and uh, disturbed EM fields can do funny things to space and time by disrupting, overlapping, or thinning boundaries between parallel worlds. And uh, this can briefly allow us to rub elbows with the people or other critters in those parallel worlds whom we, geniuses, generally interpret as spirits of our own dead, aliens, or cryptids. The pagan traditions uh, have stuck, of course, especially with the form of costumes, bonfires, and candy. Uh, They were actually bribes for the demons. Yeah, Well, we'll make any comments about today's kids. Anyway, so in the realm of extreme Halloween, we thought it would be appropriate to start with a report from 1976, 
What happened in 1970? That was we read a case on on the air last night on our CBS show that happened to me in 1976. Well, other weird things have happened then too. I can't I can't quite recall off the top of my head. I'd have to look on Wikipedia or something. So yeah, well, I don't think your memory goes back to 1976. No, this manifestation. No, <clears throat> right. A multiverse full of bends. That's quite a concept. Anyway, uh, 1976, and it was from Susan uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. And Susan uh, writes, Ben, if you would be so kind. Okay. Hi, Paul and Ben. I really admire your work and your ideas. I even think I'm beginning to understand the multiverse. I hope I can get your opinion on something that happened to me when I was a kid. I grew up in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska, a small Midwestern city with lots of college students, politicians, and tornadoes. Halloween (laughs) was big in our neighborhood, and groups of kids would have a great time trick-or-treating. One year, I think it was 1976, we went out in a group as usual, but before we got very far, we started to notice that we had a silent friend taking along with us. He or she was shorter than most of us and was dressed in in completely black clothing except for a Mickey Mouse mask. That's really weird. Um, There were about ten of us in our group, and there were a couple of funny things about this extra kid. As we went from house to house, uh, we talked and laughed as kids do. This kid always stayed in back of us and never said anything. As you know, kids will joke around, pull off masks, and always try to find out who it is. Uh, But there was something so strange about this kid that we kind of gave him a wide berth. Uh, Nobody really talked to him. Uh, We didn't feel creeped out, just sort of sad. We all became a little quieter. As a matter of fact, it kind of ruined our fun. Even later on, we couldn't guess who it was. Weird because all the neighbor kids knew each other. Even weirder was the fact that we went to a door for candy and the kid was never there. Uh, We noticed him again when we got back to the road. The weirdest of all was at one big house where friends of my parents lived. uh, They were having a big party and uh, took a picture of our group outside the house and I knew the kid was was with us when the picture was taken when the picture was taken but when the picture came out and the guy gave it to my father the strange kid wasn't in the picture i've seen pictures that are spooky because there are ghostly figures in it this one creeped me out because this ghostly kid wasn't in it uh hold on a second i put the staple right on the words <laughs> sorry okay now i know that this this could have been just a shy little kid tagging along with us that night. But you had to be there and feel the weird feeling in this kid's presence. It wasn't normal. What do you think? Well, what do you think? Sorry I completely destroyed the email. No, well, you didn't. Well, now you will just won't be able to keep it together ever again. Um, well... I don't know what I think. <laughs> you that's do just, hear stories like this. Yeah, but it, it's just kind of weird because I've never heard of anything like that before. Really? Okay. Well, you know, I always there are stories like this, but I always thought they were urban legends. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we probably ought to do a show on urban legends too. But urban legend essentially like is the a, bunny is, man. I don't know about the bunny man, but there was there there were these legends of of uh, well, you know the. Uh, you hear them all over the place. You don't know if they're true. Although, Mom has come home with a few. She's heard from her, her clients, and, and uh, I don't know. Knowing the clients, it might be true. But well, she's you dealt know, with the, some the, weird the, people. 
the, the dope who adopts an Australian wombat because he thinks it's a dog or something, and then it's you know could, you know a terrible dangerous creature, that sort of thing, or the uh, elephant that sat on the Volkswagen, or you know different different things that uh, you hear from from time to time from day to day modern life, and they somehow have circulated in our society as they would in an ancient society, uh, various stories that supposedly have happened to people and. Among them are little Halloween stories of little ghost kids showing up at doors and they, they disappear in front of people and all this. But this is the first time, uh, and thank you, by the way, Susan, for sending this in. But it's a really cool story. Well, it is. And again, it, uh, probably even more so because you really don't know if this was a shy little kid or something something more or, or less. That's just weird that it chose a Mickey Mouse mask. Well, yeah, th- there are a number of interesting little... Tidbits in maybe it's like like an maybe it's like some archetype or something for like happiness or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, Mickey Mouse has become an archetype in society. You know, I don't know what says that says about society, but anyway, this child all dressed all in black uh, with a Mickey Mouse mask. I mean, you you can you can speculate in any direction. Could it be an alien observing human tribal customs? I mean, anything is possible. I don't know. The the feeling of sadness. That that sends up a flag for me. What does it say to you? Because I, well, I, I thought that was I thought that was interesting, but I couldn't quite place my finger on why. Well, you are about to make your first trip, hopefully during our uh, Province Learning Connection course, to the uh, site of the Village of Voices case. And uh, you know, someone mentioned that in my English class. But anyway, continue. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we got on the whole subject of it because my my. They team, know who you were, who you are. Uh, no, no, but okay. um. They were like, "Oh, you ever been to that place that's uh really that's like in Connecticut and like there's voices all over the place?" I was like, "Yeah, my dad was the first guy to go there." And they were like, oh. <laughs> "Whoa!" <laughs> anyway, when you walk in there, I remember walking in there for the time, and this is in the 1970s as well. You'd feel sadness, and it was really odd. And, and it, but it was this kind of sadness that was rather mysterious in its origin. It wasn't as if you were sorry for yourself or somebody else. It was like a sense of heaviness, and very much uh, what well, what she doesn't describe much here, but kind of like the, the feeling in the presence of this of this kid. Yeah, if this if it was a kid, um, the thing that makes me really interested is because if this was a real kid, he'd be the first one up there at the door to get candy. You think? Yeah. But uh, back down on the side where they notice him again, they notice him or hear her or whatever, and not not notice, and then the. the, uh, the the, the photograph is interesting, but, of course, the evidence would be interesting if it was in the picture and wasn't with the group. But here we have a, a reverse case where the, the figure is not in the picture and was there when the picture was taken. So I suppose that would, the picture wouldn't prove anything. Yeah. But nevertheless, very interesting. And you might ask, people might ask, what, what, what is, take our multiverse theories that we always apply to everything. What does that say about this? Well, somewhere, someone that is a neighborhood kid. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. maybe there are different houses that are in the places where they think that the houses are in this universe or whatever world or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And and that's probably why they couldn't talk to him because the as you said the veil the veils between the worlds are thin so he could rub elbows with all sorts of critters. Yeah. Well, the Celts believed that the veils between the worlds were thin at Halloween. They yeah. were very intelligent people. And yes, then, when they weren't. Destroyed each other, yeah. and destroyed by the Romans. Yes. Well, anyway, uh, historically, being that that being as it may, I think of a case from England, uh, in which uh, which I was told about, where the the man lived in a ordinary guy lived in a neighborhood, uh, you know, some kind of job, you know, regular fellow had a family. He walked out of his house one day, 
had a slight instant of a little bit of blackness. That's happened to me. And all of a sudden, he was in a different neighborhood. Houses weren't in the same place. There were a couple of people he knew, a couple of people he didn't know. He ended, and he freaked. He ended up at the police station, and uh, they didn't, they couldn't tell who he was. Uh, there was nobody by his name living, in the, and then all of a sudden he went out, uh, and then everything changed back. So I mean, this is multiversal, you know, awareness. I suppose that it's uh, extreme, not, not at its best. Yeah. So anyway, so but thank you again, Susan, for sending that in. It's quite uh, quite interesting, uh, certainly. Uh, so um, the paranormal has a lot of strange corners where we can run into creatures that go way beyond ghosts, as illustrated by our last email. Um, one of our earlier shows was about fairies and uh, other nature creatures or nature spirits, whatever floats your boat. Um, we couldn't believe how many people wrote in about their experiences with fairies or fairy-like creatures. Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, we, we had weeks of people writing in about stories uh, very often that uh, most of them had experienced as children or that had been told to them by their grandparents and then they experienced something after that. Uh, it's a basic principle in several interpretations of quantum physics that anything can exist. Anything that is possible, anything that we can conceive of, actually exists somewhere or somewhere in this vast system of interacting universes that we refer to as the multiverse. Some, like Ben and I, feel that these worlds and creatures are fully real, physical, and functional. Others feel that they are, this is a number of physicists feel, who believe this, uh, feel that they are indeed out there, but they are potentially real and need some species like us to come along and make them real by means of our own consciousness. That's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, I suppose, in a way might indicate that. See. Whichever interpretation is true, if any, it means that creatures we interpret as the mythical denizens of folklore do exist in parallel worlds and do stumble into ours, or we into theirs, now and again. Uh, one critter we have never discussed yet on any program is suggested by Davina M. in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, and uh, Davina writes, Hello, Paul and Ben. I'm wondering if you, you've you ever done a show on trolls and what your take on the subject is. When I was younger, my family and I lived in a haunted house. Thank God we no longer live there. And my siblings and I <laughs> were... My siblings and I were tormented by many paranormal entities. We had a family friend who was also a medium come over to check out check the house out. She only spoke in Spanish, so I think a lot of what she said got lost in translation. I do remember she said she saw slash felt trolls in the house. I'm very interested to learn more about this subject. Thank you for your time. Oh. Uh, uh, we have a huge private library at our house. Uh, just about every major book on the paranormal ever published is in there. Uh, very few of those even mention trolls, because as I said earlier, all I, could, all I could think of is the toy. Right, okay. Well, trolls as we generally think of them come from uh, cartoons, toy stores, and Scandinavian folklore. Uh, they are not generally considered nice, and usually are thought of as big, ugly, and not all that swift. Personally, I've never run into one that I know of. They are generally thought of as uh, guarding bridges and entrances. I certainly yeah. hope there aren't too many around Woonsocket tonight. We have lots of bridges, and we're the only town around here with the with Well, the, the bridges are rusting, so they, they, they probably disappeared. Yeah, they like rust. Yeah, no. yeah, we were hit by um, another storm. 
in New England here, we're getting ready for, for uh, locusts and, um, I suppose, frogs at this point because we've had an earthquake, a hurricane, and, and a damaging snowstorm all in the space of a few months. So we're wondering what's next. So uh, we, we are one of the few towns in here without that have power tonight. So I hope uh, uh, our podcast comes through so people who don't have power can listen to the show later on. Anyway, um, they are, we have lots of bridges, too, so hopefully the trolls aren't bothering the youngsters as they as they go on their rounds tonight. Anyway, uh, more seriously, Ben, do you have any more thoughts on this? I mean, I just I have I have a few more thoughts, but but go ahead. I think I think I, there might be something about the word you you pointed out very wisely on several occasions that the word fairy just creates disbelief, you know, because of its connotations. But that doesn't mean that that sort of that some species like that. Well, it could have a different exist. word that could sound more menacing than fairies, like muck duck or something like that. Um. I don't know. I think when we just think oh, of it's like something they make at that restaurant down here. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I have no idea. Anyway, so it's probably just the words that we use to describe these things that sound kind of goofy because the word fairy is associated with like stupid kids things like My Little Pony and the Smurfs. But <laughs> even then, like if these thi- if these things do exist in other paranormal, uh, not paranormal, in other parallel worlds, they could just as easily come over here and mess with us. Uh, in that sense. Yeah, they tend to blend rid them. In Davina's case, it's interesting that a woman of presumably Mexican origin, this medium she talks about, would report one in Arizona. Well, there's legends of this stuff like all over the place. That's true. Well, that leads me to suspect that our paranormal who and where principle is coming into play. So in other words, how you interpret the paranormal experiences depends on who you are and where you experience them. Actually, wait, I was going to bring up this question last night. If people that follow, you know how we always talk to goofy ghost hunters and they're all like, oh yeah, I've never run into anything neg- negative in my life. Oh yeah. Gosh. Maybe due to their belief, they experience things differently than other people would. I mean, it's like voodoo. Some people think it exists, therefore it affects them. Some people think it doesn't exist, therefore the curses that the voodoo priests put on them don't actually happen. Yeah, there is a certain amount of energy you put into the thing yourself. The <coughs> people are uh, awestruck sometimes by some of the ways we interpret our cases. But, I mean, look look what happens when you open up to other possibilities other than the stupid Victorian interpretation of what this is all about, then all kinds of interesting things happen. A lot, of, stuff in the Victorian of, a lot of things from the Victorian era just mess with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. But, uh, but anyway, continuing, um, if you're... Living in a, if you're in a living room, and a wispy figure drifts by, aha, a ghost. If you're out in the yard, and a disc lands nearby, and you see wispy figures, aha, aliens. Yeah, it depends on the context. Yeah. So if you work in in a in the lumber industry in Oregon, and you see a huge ape-like figure, Bigfoot, especially if it's wearing suspenders and carrying a lunchbox. Well, let's let's forget him. There. <laughs> okay. If you work. In the, in the lumber industry in Norway, and you see the same thing, you think a troll. So maybe it just depends on where you're from and how you look at things. Yeah, maybe. Uh, just to clarify for those who don't know this story, we did a show on Extreme Paranormal at one point, and we actually got a report from North Carolina uh, Highway. I, th- I don't know if it was Route 95 or not, but it was very early in the morning. Several people reported a Bigfoot-like figure in a ball cap with suspenders carrying a lunchbox. Now, obviously, this this has hoax written all over it, but we reported it anyway because, hey, you know, what are you going to do? 
<coughs> okay. Uh. And we do run into a variety of multiversal creatures all the time. In a place like Davina's house uh, back in Arizona in the days of yore, which reminds me of many of the multiversal crossroads we run into, troll-like beings are entirely possible. A new report, Ben, which you have not seen yet, just came in yesterday from our uh, ongoing major case in Connecticut. We're always talking about power. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, they must have escaped uh, before the storm. Probably. Anyway, there. I'll read it later if we have time. There were. There are now small beings that kind of sparkle that that were uh, evident to a, a guest in the house. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this particular place is like maybe maybe Davina's house, a crossroads intersection, Grand Central Station of the multiverse. All ki- the energies are such that all kinds of worlds overlap. You never know what you're going to see. All kinds of interesting species and creatures are passing through all the time. It's like like the the cafe at, at in the first uh, Star Wars movie, you know. Yeah. So uh, and, and that that's no joke. That's as real as it gets in places like this. But it can if you live there, it can be a bit disconcerting. He doesn't like you. No, I don't right. like you either. <laughs> so uh, and of course, then there's the question of uh, parasites. I mean, th- they can come through too, uh, and. Uh, there seemed to be some indication in Davina's letter that, that there were some negative things going on. So were these trolls parasites or that they were interpreting as that? Uh, were they translating the woman's words properly from Spanish? Presumably, I mean, she has a uh, Mexican name, and maybe presumably her mother must have spoken Spanish talking to this medium. So yeah, there are a number of, of uh, unanswered questions here that may have been factors in Davina's experience. Yeah, well... Moving on, uh, there have been some ultra-weird goings-on not far from here during this Halloween season, and one of them is reported by our good friend Lon Strickler uh, on his uh, phantomsandmonsters.com newsletter. Okay, that's a, that's a great newsletter. I'm going to give a bit of a plug for that a little bit later on, but I wanted to report, this is only a few weeks ago, and it occurred uh, in Connecticut, not far from where we sit at this moment. It was Sunday evening, October 9th, 2011, this year, uh, at approximately 7.25 p.m. near exit 73, it's a Niantic Flanders exit in Connecticut, right near the, the, the shoreline uh, uh, resorts there along the Long Island Sound. And uh, all cars on uh, Interstate 95 South came to a complete halt. Now, as we know, traveling that road, that's not unusual. Yeah, I know. But the cause of this one was. As usual, uh, the automobile backup was a few miles long, and no cars or trucks could move. It was a complete standstill. Uh, my, this is the, the person who experienced this. I don't have the name. My wife and I had just completed a wonderful dinner at the quaint town of Mystic, Mystic Pizza, maybe, uh, and begun our trip home to Hartford. I recall telling my wife this evening uh, that had been one of the most beautiful, crystal clear blue skies I had ever seen. There were no clouds present. It seemed that the sky had two or three beautiful hues of blue. Uh, it was very uh, breathtaking indeed, because the weather was so warm and pleasant... Uh, I opened the moonroof of the car to feel the uh, breeze as we drove home. A sighting of one object in the distance of I-95 then occurred. As we were heading south on I-95 and passing exit 74 or 75, I noticed to my right, off in the distance, a stationary object. This object was a couple of hundred feet in the air and had blinking lights, approximately four or five lights. As we were traveling at 55 to 65 miles per hour, the road began to turn away from the direction of the object. I let go the image uh, to maintain focus on the road ahead. I thought to myself, what was that? 
Was it a large, flat, rounded helicopter with four or five lights blinking? Was it a large, flat balloon with four or five flashing lights? Was it a large water tower with four or five blinking lights? If a water tower, uh, were there, where were the tower legs? I had to put it out of my mind to watch the road and focus on the fast-moving traffic. A mile or two down the road, we came to a complete stop on I-95. We were now near exit 73. All I could see in front of me was a long line of red backup lights. In my rearview mirror, I saw that there were white headlights, of course. I could not believe it. Here it, was, here it is, one of the most beautiful evenings I had, I had ever had, and yet I sit here in the parking lot on I-95. How many times has that happened to us? Mm. As we sat there in standstill traffic, I decided to look up through the moonroof on my right uh, and uh, over my right shoulder and uh, to view the sky. What I saw next it gave me a double take, then a shock. The object I had just seen a few miles back was here hovering. What I saw was a large, flat, rounded disk with five lights blinking on and off. These lights seemed to blink in a reticulating fashion. That's in a pattern. This object was approximately 400 to 5 feet above the ground and about 200 feet from the road. Just then I had another shock, and there was more than one object. The second object was moving slightly next to this first one. Object 2 was at a slightly lower altitude, possibly 50 feet below object 1. These two objects also appeared to be within 100 feet of each other. Both objects were exactly the same shape, had the same number of lights, same color, and all five lights visible were blinking. It seems one craft's lights blinked in a reticulating fashion and the others just came on and off. As I focused on this second object, I realized it was moving uh, very slowly towards I-95, us and the two or three cars behind us. I remember stating aloud, and he makes a reference to the deity, uh, and his, his wife of being a strong Christian, I assume was insulted and ignored my comment. I am sure she was concerned that I said this. She also does not believe in this phenomenon. I did not b- bring this to her attention. I find that kind of funny. You're saying that you don't point it out to your whoever's in the car with anyway, You're just w- seeing things. Stop it. <laughs> I was in shock. I don't see that. I was in shock as I have never seen a disc in person before, let alone two objects at one time. I also knew we were in a position of vulnerability. We were unable to move until the traffic could move. I felt a little panic knowing this. I also wondered, were we being watched by these two floating objects? Were these objects observing the cars and trucks in this backup? I then thought for a split second, there could possibly could there possibly be a third object, but could not verify that assumption. I had a strong feeling that there was a third one, but could not get a look at it. I just sensed it as another presence. As the cars began to move at last, I was glad we could leave the area. I forced myself to brush off what I had witnessed as a not-so-happy observation. As I traveled down the road, I had the inclination to look one more time into my rearview mirror. Sure enough, there it was in the rearview mirror, where we left it. I could still see one object with its lights blinking on and off near the highway. In retrospect, I now realize two things. When I first saw... When I saw the first object from a distance a few miles away before the backup, the second object must have been behind the other or just showed up after we came to a complete stop. If I had not had any moonroof open and looked up when I chose to do so, I would never have seen these two objects. The angle of the objects was above and to the right of my roof, meaning it would have been impossible for me to see them. Uh, I know people saw this, and I sure wish they, I am sure they wish they had not. Now I have never I haven't heard anything about this. Now we don't generally follow the UFO news specifically, but I'd like to I'll make some inquiries among our contacts in MUFON about sure. whether about whether this because I'd like to have some corroboration of this. And again, these objects were disc shaped, both had five lights. 
along the rim, and it tells me the craft had more than five legs, perhaps 15 or 20, around the entire circumference of the craft. And uh, this goes on and on. Uh, and it turns out there was a major accident causing this backup. And uh, our witness goes on, uh, not knowing how the accident occurred, um, I thought the police might like to know what I saw. I first contemplated their reaction. Would they think me a nut doing so? However, I rationalized after a day or two, if I saw this while driving and focused on these objects, I may have had an accident. The cars have been moving fast. Ha, maybe they caused the accident. Who, the police? No. The, oh, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. I hope not. Stop looking at it. Anyway, I first contacted the dispatch officer in East Lyme. Oh, the Lyme, Connecticut, the city that gave you, town that gave us Lyme disease. Yeah. With all due respect, I know a lot. I have some friends there, nice people. <laughs> Beautiful. Anyway, a few days after this Insult sighting. Insult the town. Then. Yeah, the aliens were delivering more Lyme disease. More Lyme's. Anyway, the, the dispatch officer heard my story and referred me to the investigating officer at the I-95 crash at Montville. I shared the story again, this time via phone voicemail with this officer. A week later, not hearing back, I decided to follow up by email to the head officer at the police station. I inquired if they knew anything and and to please share what they had heard so I could report this event to MUFON. It's like asking the government to disclose, right? To date, I have not been contacted. Do the police know something? Did others report the same event? I may never know. Perhaps they think I'm a nut. Anyway, and he then he finishes up. Um, I would say that we would like to hear from anyone who was a witness to this. I mean, if you have all these people backed up on I-95, and, and uh, I'd like to hear from this, uh, from anybody who, who has, uh, has seen this. So anyway, we're going to take a, a brief commercial break, and we'll be right back to finish this up and to move on to our next email. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays on our new drive time slot at 6 PM. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. Okay, and we're, uh, we wanted to, of course, mention our sponsor, Amazon Kindle, and I forgot the commercial tonight, so I'm going to have to wing it. Uh, I wanted to point out Amazon Kindle Fire is the newest product from this marvelous family of e-readers that Amazon has provided. And uh, I'm preparing a course uh, also teaching about uh, something I'm teaching about publishing, and I was looking up some facts, and Amazon Kindle sales have now... Uh, exceeded book sales, f- sales of physical books. So this is a phenomenon that is not going away in time you get in on it. And for as little as a $1.99, you can get Amazon Kindle Fire, which will give you not only upwards of a million books, uh, but also movies, uh, TV shows, uh, newspapers, magazines. And that's coming out on November 15th, so don't miss that. Amazon Kindle Fire. You can get them at Staples. You can get them online, Amazon.com. Check it out. It's a great way uh, to read books now, including four of my own. And uh, we also have most of the guests you hear on this show. Their books are on Amazon Kindle as well. Uh, you can also get it through your iPad and uh, all sorts of wonderful things. But ch- check out the Amazon Kindle because it's a great e-reader. Okay. So we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and com originating from New England's beautiful but snowy Blackstone River Valley. And we wanted to give you our numbers again. If you have any Halloween stories of your own that uh, might be of extremely interesting and bizarre nature, let us know. Uh, our number, of course, locally, 401 excuse me, 766-1240 and 800-449-1240 nationally. So 
uh, again, anybody who witnessed that Connecticut UFO incident, I'd love to hear from only a few weeks back. And uh, UFO is showing up at a traffic accident in Connecticut on Interstate 95. And also, uh, th- that came from a wonderful daily newsletter, believe it or not, that's free, from our good friend Lon Strickler of phantomsandmonsters.com. And Alon could use your help, by the way. And he produces this great online newsletter. It's completely free, and it's thick, too. There's a lot to it. Uh, Fortean and paranormal reports from all over the world. And check out the site, phantomsandmonsters.com, and is spelled out. Uh, subscribe to the newsletter, and consider donating, even if it's just a few dollars. Uh, Lon writes, quote, I am committed to keeping Phantoms and Monsters a free daily newsletter and publication. New subscriptions are being accepted. The balance sheet is beginning to level out as a result of the reader's kind donations and a variety of advertising efforts, but sustained assistance is still needed. Uh, so donations can be accepted through PayPal. Uh, there are donate buttons are located on the site and on the blog. Uh, or go to the PayPal homepage and send the donation to Lon's user email, lonstrickler at phantomsandmonsters.com, L-O-N-S-T-R-I-C-K-L-E-R. Or simply send your contribution by mail. The address is on the site, phantomsandmonsters.com, folks. Great, great source of information. Okay. Now, we have a very interesting email that we, we read it on CBS last night, and it's, it's so precious that I thought we, and it so certainly fits the realm of, of, um, I guess, extreme paranormal and extreme Halloween that uh, we were going to read it again tonight. Uh, last night's theme was clumsy ghosts on our CBS show. So, this is a, this is a gem. So, Ben, if you would, and of course it's from uh, uh, Nina, Nina in California. It just says California. Okay. Uh, hi, Paul and Ben. I see you two will be taking, well, taking, uh, talking about confused ghosts, and I thought I'd throw one, one of mine at you. Uh, I grew up in a house near San Francisco, and from the time I was about five, we we uh, we were being haunted by what I can only call a clumsy ghost. There didn't seem to be any reason for it uh, that we could tell, and nobody in the family died or anything, and from what we knew, everybody in the house before us lived a pretty good life. Uh, but there was this spirit klutz falling down the stairs, tripping over stuff, or at least that's what it sounded like, and I kid you not, we actually heard an occasional oof or ow, like somebody hurting themselves. Sometimes uh, we wouldn't uh, hear it for weeks. Then, especially when the full uh, when the moon was full, believe it or not, it would go on all day and half the night. Before long, uh, it not only uh, bothered us; uh, it actually amused us. Or, well, it actually didn't bother them; it amused them. Uh, there were no ghost hunters in those days, so there uh, was nobody to call uh, when things got weird. But we actually got a kick out of it. We'd hear an ah from upstairs and crash when nobody was up there. And we would say, there goes that stupid ghost again, or a good thing uh, he doesn't have any bones or they would all be broken, and then we'd laugh. To make it even funnier, uh, when we grew up and my parents finally sold the place in the 1980s, my Uncle Ron moved in, and he was such a clumsy guy, uh, or he was the most clumsy guy to ever walk the earth. Uh, He was always dropping stuff, especially on his foot. Uh, he never mentioned the ghost to us, but if the ghost was still in the house, they probably got to be good friends. Okay, this is really interesting in many ways. Of course, it's very amusing. And, you know, when people send in stories like this, we have no way of checking their validity, and we just assume that our readers are, uh, that our listeners are intelligent people. We know that they are because of the good questions they ask and that they're being honest. So we take this at face value. 
there are a couple of things that kind of jump out at us here. Uh, one is that the clumsy uncle moved in to the house after these folks left. That's interesting because we very often find that the, quote, ghost in the house could be a future resident because this is the way space-time seems to work. The multiverse is indiscriminate when you have overlaps of one world to another. It could be a future world. It could be a past world. So I find it very interesting that the uncle moved in afterwards, didn't mention anything about a ghost. They might have, as we say, collapsed the wave function. Just as when I stood on that por- as, as this is when that young girl stood on the porch in Maine, had, had the, the, the shocked residents tell her that she was haunting the house, and then all phenomena ceased immediately for both parties. The two worlds perhaps came together. So I, what, what do you think, Ben? Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, because when the uncle moved in, the phenomena ceased. Yeah, that, that's, well, well, as far as we know. Yeah, he well, never said anything about. It. Well, I, I think that if there was a clumsy ghost tripping all over the all over the place, I think that's a topic of conversation. But we, I have heard of this sort of thing before: ghosts, you know, sort of bumbling into locked doors and stepping on the cat and stuff like this. I mean, this sort of thing does seem to happen, and uh, it's. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little nervous at times when people get used to the presence of something like this, as amusing as it may be, and as certainly as innocuous as it may seem. Well, then at least it's not, if it was a negative thing, at least they're, they, they had the, the feelings that it wasn't something negative trying to harm them. Yeah. It was just merely something that was going on. Well, there always is a, is a need for caution. As we approach, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying no. They don't, ha- they don't have to be cautious all the time. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. That they just, they, they felt, oh well, this thing's not scary. It's kind of funny. Yeah, well, obviously, certainly was, but in any case, uh, obviously, nothing uh, uh, negative occurred, and uh, there was didn't seem to be any threat. And certainly, uh, once in a while, to share a story like this is, uh, especially on Halloween, is kind of fun. Um, and uh, thinking back to the troll thing, I remember. The, the past two Halloweens, I guess this is more, we're going into our fourth season now. Uh, usually on Halloween, we've done the history of Halloween and different things. And it gets kind of boring. Well, it's boring, but I mean, it's just, it's, um, maybe you, well, you're used to this stuff. You yeah. might get bored, but nobody else does. That, that we have issues where um, various kinds of creatures manifest and various things. And this is the first time we've done anything really humorous. The, uh, the troll thing, though, makes me uh, makes me wonder that anything can happen in a place where there's uh, this this sort of cross uh, overlapping and things of this kind in, in the multiverse. But anyway, this is, this is a great story. So th- thank you again, Nina, for, for sending it in. I guess uh, you live in Atlanta now, but uh, well, that was the other... Pr- well, whatever. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's okay, Dad. <clears throat> get that just, just take it one okay. minute at a time. Here's one. This is a, an interesting one from... Uh, oh, actually, uh, before, because I'll forget about this if we don't. Uh, Rick McGowan in Oklahoma asks, what's been going on with our podcasts? And uh, I, I think I should perhaps explain, because a lot of our listeners, we supposedly have upwards of 3 million listeners, but I think most of them listen on the podcast, either from CBS, from ON here, or from our site, or I understand they're on iTunes. I never knew that. Yeah, they should, tells be, me anything around they should be uh, giving us money for that. Oh, well, you look into that. We don't have any money. Much yeah, they, no, they should be. They should at least be giving us a percentile of whatever revenue they make on iTunes if they make people pay for it. But I don't think they do. I don't know. I have. I haven't they looked. Should. Well, okay. Well, we'll look into. I have uh, our lawyers. So. We'll talk to their. No, anyway. our people will talk to your people. Yeah. Anyway, 
uh, what's been going on with them is that the CBS has had, they have a very odd system. I don't want to be bad mouthing our other network. But they have a very odd system where these things bounce back and forth between Detroit and New York. We broadcast out of Detroit um, by a link-up, and the, the thing goes to New York and is goes round and round in CBS corporate offices and then comes out five or six days later. I don't know why that's the case, but they usually show up on our site on the, the Friday after the Sunday show. So, uh, But lately they, they've, uh, they've been having computer upgrades going on over there, and they've been explaining to us that, that the podcasts have not been lost. They're just like, really delayed. So please be patient with the CBS podcast. We did uh, manage to lose one from this station two weeks ago, which is very unusual, but that has been corrected as well. And last week's uh, ON show is up, and we expect this one will be up uh, very soon tonight, usually within 24 hours, thanks to the um, fine staff here at at WON. So, uh, that being said, uh, anybody who is concerned about that, Rick in Oklahoma and everyone else, uh, please rest assured everything will be okay. Okay, now this is a good one. This is from Lisa from Brunswick, Ohio. And Lisa writes in now and then uh, with some interesting comments. And this is uh, in reference to our show from a few weeks ago. Wait, didn't we read this already? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I just heard your show. Oh, no, we didn't read this. I just heard your show with Rob Howells about the bloodline of Jesus. I read The Mystical Life of Jesus by uh, H. Spencer Lewis, Ph.D., FRC, in 1990. I don't know what FRC means. What does that mean? Um, I don't know. Maybe some. Brit- I usually do pretty good on my British titles because of all our Brit relatives with titles. I, I don't know. I thought. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, moving on. Uh, the original book was written in 1929. Maybe you have read this. Uh, I've it, seen it. It made sense to me, uh, and I have not believe. I have not believed Jesus died on the cross uh, since reading this book. I also believe. He was married to Mary and, and had children. I hope Mr. House comes back and talks more about how he. F- uh, about what he feels is to come. Lisa. Okay. This may not be all that related to Halloween. Uh, however, it was a very unusual aspect of the paranormal, we think, uh, that has to do with a lot of the things that are associated with this bloodline of Christ. Now, we we don't take one particular point of view over another. I, however, spent 10 years in seminaries, and this a couple of things did come up. One was that when I was a kid, my father would tell me stories of the Knights Templar and our family, the Eno family, supposedly founded by some crazy knight named Heno, who was a Templar. And, and wife- supposedly was married to a serpent lady. Yeah, that explains a lot of our relatives. But he certainly was a kind of, this was a kind of person who was a shapeshifter and all this baloney. Well, I don't know, it was blown- I hope it's baloney. But anyway, this there, there seemed to be... When I read some of this stuff about this bloodline and the Knights Templar, I said, my gosh, I heard those, those bedtime stories my father told me. Everybody else grew up with Beatrix Potter and Peter Rabbit. That grew up with Keno the Knight and, and his, his snake wife. It was great. But anyway, maybe it explains why I turned into what I did. Anyway, so we're, we're very concerned about uh, any stories that, that have to do with this. Personally, with our Eastern mentality, the idea that... Because no, the, the idea of Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene didn't come up in our bedtime stories... But it is part of that story, and th- that's a big theme now in uh, a lot of the, the, the fiction and the movies that have come up, uh, particularly with uh, Mr. Brown and his book, Da Vinci Code. And uh, I wonder why that is. <clears throat> well, people are fascinated. People are disillusioned with, I think, uh, the churches in general right now, and they're looking for alternatives. I, the Eastern point of view, which we always take, which 
I don't hope hopefully it doesn't confuse everybody. What I don't understand any problem. I don't see what's the big deal here. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus theologically in Christian theology was fully God and fully man. He's fully man and he reproduced. I mean that that's what fully human people do. I don't understand the problem here. Their fixation on gender and sex really bothers me. I don't understand why that bothers. I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. So I don't really understand this whole issue. And then the issue of the bloodline that <clears throat> they had descendants, unless they had, and we're talking about you know, of course, almost two thousand years here. Unless they had one child in each generation with no brothers and sisters, each of whom lived and had one child in the next generation, then half of Europe and half of America would share this same bloodline at this point in time. So what, what's what's that all about? We ourselves are descended from the Merovingian kings of France, and so is half of the rest of America and Europe. King Edward III had, three children, had nine children who lived, so 80% of the population of England is descended from King Edward III. So what, what's the big deal? Who's going to come out of that and, and claim... The implication here is that somebody's going to come out at the end of this bloodline and, and claim to be uh, a major king and, and descendant of Jesus and therefore can like take over Europe or something? I mean, I, who, I don't think it works like that, especially when most of Europe is converting to Islam. Well, I don't know about that, but I mean, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's great, it's very interesting, but who cares? Pretty much, yeah. So I don't think the whole thing is a big balloon i don't know like that lady we had on about the antichrist oh that was another oh yeah and, and, she, and she thought that um what was it prince william prince william yeah. was, was a clone of I mean, what on earth i mean we believe, believe anything's possible i don't i don't i don't see be, any evidence to support that claim not not in this world no. plus even then nobody really cares well, she said he, he looked like the, the the image on the Shroud of Turin. You could look like the image on the Shroud of Turin. Yeah, I have a beard. Yeah, so there you go. I don't. So anyway, I don't, I don't think this really goes anywhere, and I don't see how any kind of marriage would affect anything to do with the theology of what people believe about Christ. If that's I, what happened, I must say there were, there was a question that came up in the seminary. I asked a lot of questions in the seminary that kind of got people looking at me strangely here and there, and one was that at the wedding at Cana which is from the Gospel of John, the first of the seven miracles of, of Jesus, that he went to this wedding with his mother, the Virgin Mary, and, and all of a sudden they ran out of wine. And Mary tells the steward, do whatever he says, him presumably being Jesus. What, what would she be doing giving orders at somebody else's wedding? That doesn't make sense. And of course, what, what one of the party line answers would be, well, she had other, they had other children, uh, the real party line answer is that Joseph had children from another marriage. It's possible. And uh, there was one of theirs, so that's why she was giving order. But, I mean, unless it was Jesus' wedding, why would she be? I don't know. So, so that, but I have no problem with that whatsoever. There's, what would that have, how would that wreck Christian theology or do anything except create a job security problem for the male establishment? I don't know. And Mary Magdalene was is known in the Eastern Church as equal to the apostles. Mm. That is a very, very exalted title. So whatever happened, she was important, and whether she was that that's another. But anyway, uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed the show, certainly, Lisa, with Rob, and we do plan to have him back to talk more about this. And there's another fellow, Don Hammett, I'd like to have back, who supposedly knows where this very important body is that Rob 
talked about on the air, too. So we'll see where that goes and when we have a chance to deal with it. Okay, we have a few more minutes. Okay, here is uh, another one. This is from Kevin. Kevin does not say where he's from, but it brings up an interesting point about back to ghosts again. Okay. So, hey, guys. It does say where he's from. Mesa, Arizona. Okay. Maybe he didn't want us to say that. Well, you should use the full model. (laughs) Not my idea. Don't be... uh, Hey, guys. I I love you, and I love the show. Thank you. I'll get right to it. I have um, inter... intermittently heard throughout my life that ghosts are unable to cross moving water. Ghosts might be trapped, and I've been told inside a house because of the water uh, in the pipes, and they are keeping them confine- confined there. Or residual haunting might be, uh, might be caused because of rivers, creeks, and streams, or other natural moving bodies of water are confining them within a given area. Personally speaking, while I haven't had any scientific basis for this thinking, this doesn't pass the, the smell test for me. As for you two, as you might say, it's not good enough. Uh, what do you ha- What do you guys think, Kevin? Okay, well, thank you, Kevin. For that's a very good question. Oh, he just says he doesn't care if you use my last name. All right, so Kevin Baldwin from Mesa, Arizona. Thank you. Right. I don't know if I get to say that without getting in trouble with my son. Stop it. Anyway. The, the thing about water is very interesting. Now, I've often said on the show that in my cases over the last 41 years, I have noticed that water and electricity play a certain role in where paranormal events manifest. And I think that's because water and uh, water that's not distilled, at least, conducts electricity and will conduct and will have something to do with the um, electromagnetic fields. Certain electrical phenomena and water phenomena will uh, sometimes play havoc with space-time. I have heard the legend that witches have trouble crossing water. <laughs> Monty Python, the Holy Grail. If she right. weighs as much as a duck, she's a witch. Well, water didn't do her any good. Did anyway, no. that, uh, this is, these are, uh, urban that's why they'd, they'd tie them together and throw them into yeah, well, time to a rock and then throw them in the river and... Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't too good. But anyway, these old legends very often are based on some kind of scientific reality or some kind of historical reality, and which has long since been lost, but the, the, uh, the belief continues and there was a grain of truth in it no matter how uh, perverted or how much baggage it has taken on over the centuries. So, uh, yeah, certainly this thing, uh, it, it affects, uh, I know that a number of psychics have told me that when they, especially police psychics, there's one locally here too, who said that he will go to a bridge over water and to to work out his feelings on certain cases and uh, knock on wood has has solved several of them while you know hanging out over the Blackstone River in our in our case in our area and Blackstone heard, River and I've heard that from a number of people so uh, as far as go but there there may might be something to this in the sense that certain par- paranormal Entities, if we want to call them ghosts, fine, seem to be confined to certain areas. Uh, I can think of a lot of them. I had a case in 1998 where the ghost seemed not to, to be, if you want to call it that, seemed the actually it was a parasite, seemed not to be able to go beyond a certain radius because it, it would, in, in some cases, would get in the car with me, and I and I would get, I'd get to maybe the just about the border where the, where the two villages kind of split, and it was it was at a, at a, at a bridge over a river and the thing would would disappear you know 
And that's the reason I didn't really fight with it, because I knew it, would, it wouldn't be able to go very far. Uh-huh. So uh, there might be something to this. Electromagnetic boundaries uh, would have a lot to do with water. Dowsing, for example, uh, the art of using coat hangers or whatever to find water. What about, or, or like or holy water. Things. Yeah, holy water, yeah. Um, you've got certain underground streams that, that seem to have an influence on the electromagnetics or the geomagnetics of the uh, geotechnics of that area, and that could very well be true. But I don't think this applies to all, if you want to call them ghosts or all, all entities. Um, when you yourself um, are checking out a case, you know, you, you, you and I work differently. Do you find that... that um, have you ever found that, that water has been a factor? or, or I haven't really thought about it, actually. Okay, yeah, because you don't think about what you, you just do it. Yeah, That's I don't. just as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've, never, I've never really had to deal with it. Yeah. So Kevin may have a very good point here. We don't think about it a lot, but I do notice, one of the things I do notice is where things are taking place and when and in what ge- geologic, I should say, well, and in what the geographic circumstances, whether there are rivers around, whether there are lakes. I remember one case, too, uh, in Gloucester, Rhode Island, uh, not far from here, uh, by a large lake. And this particular piece of land, okay, uh, stuck out uh, onto a, on a little peninsula into this lovely lake. But it was one of these grand central stations of, of the multiverse. All kinds of things were seen, all kinds of people, entities. And uh, there didn't seem to be any point to it. It was just the, the location that, that was uh, hot, as you might say, that, that was a place where a lot of these worlds seemed to overlap. And uh, I saw no reason to believe it wasn't the water and the electromagnetics surrounding this lake. So Kevin brings up a very, very interesting point, uh, one that I think we perhaps will deal with as we deal with cases in in the future on the show. Okay, we are... Well, how much time we have there, Mr. Producer? We have about four minutes. A little less. Three. Eh, three, okay. almost. All right. So we got we got three. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I need that. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, we do have, uh, but just uh, as uh, he does also mention here, Kevin, uh, residual hauntings might be caused because of the rivers, creeks, or streams. I suppose that's true, too. As I often say, I was one of the early advocates of that residual haunting theory back in the 70s, but I um, rather quickly came to the conclusion that there was a lot more to it than that, uh, as as Kevin says, maybe not good Is enough. Is there any scientific evidence to prove that residual hauntings exist? Well, I don't know. I think it's it's a catch-all because people don't understand this. They don't approach it. So it's recorded on the environment. Environment, which I—I uh, I mean, I suppose that I think it—I think it, it sort of makes sense because certain events do put dents in space time. Yeah, 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 but they don't—they don't remain static. No, no, they—they they change. They can change. Yeah, and, and I've changed them. It's like—it's like the weather. It doesn't—it's not always static. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you really can't can't study uh, the stars with a microscope. So, I mean, and if you insist on using a microscope from the Victorian era, you're going to get microscopic results, okay? But I think if you, if you look at the whole, the whole big picture, this, uh, the residual thing, I, I, I just, I have a lot of doubts about it. Anyway, okay, we're going to be wrapping up here. But thank you, everyone who's written in. Please continue to do so. People tell us they really do enjoy these shows uh, that we have for Extreme Paranormal or open and or open lines and uh, all the, uh, the good stuff that we are able to talk about. Yes. So, anyway... Podcasts of all our shows are available at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And people are asking about our newsletter. Uh, we are still uh, getting used to this new software. We don't have enough support to really do this newsletter. I, I kind of have to do most of it myself. So I do ask people to be patient. And people, you, please subscribe if you wish. A lot of people have been doing that. Uh, one problem was we lost our original subscription list. 
So uh, we didn't lose it, but we were trying to figure out how to transfer it over to our outlook on the new system. And if anybody has any advice on that, we'd be happy to hear it. We need uh, a professional IT guy to help us well, out. We don't, well, we don't have any money. So. so many thanks to our producer, Steve Bianchi, and we'll see you next Monday, November 7th, when our guest will be Canadian author and dream expert Craig Sim Webb. And the subject, dreams, strangely enough. And on our CBS edition, on November 6th, our guest will be a reincarnation expert and regression therapist Mary Gates for a talk about Are We Our Past Lives? That will be live at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on CBS New Sky Radio in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle and online at www.newskyradio.com. It's not going to know what hit her. Anyway, <clears throat> shouldn't have said that. We leave you this evening with a thought from Charles Darwin. A man who dares, dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. Thanks for sailing with us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.